0: Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and today's episode is about the benefits of being a regular at a restaurant. Episode 7 is also the episode where I celebrate a 10th anniversary. It was 10 years ago that I wrote to Chef Andrea Carlson and asked to join her kitchen team as a volunteer for one shift on a Saturday night. One decade and many, many wonderful cooking experiences later, I'm saying happy anniversary to Chef. Let's get started.
1: Talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Chef Demoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan.
0: For the interviews today, I sat down at the bar seats that looked directly into the open kitchen line at Burdock & Co in Vancouver. If you've heard Chef Timoni before, you'll have heard me mention Burdock. It's where I worked both as a stagiaire, a volunteer intern in the kitchen, and later as an employee cook when I took some time away from office work. One thing I really enjoyed when I was working at Burdock was being able to speak with the guests as we made and sometimes passed them their plates of food. Over time, of course, some people seated at the bar started to look familiar. And I think those people, the ones who drop by regularly, were really on to something. Good restaurants treat all their guests well, of course, but I think from the diner's perspective that you can get a lot more out of a restaurant experience when you know the place well. You'll know the staff, you'll notice when things change on the menu, you'll speak to the chefs about why they're cooking what they're cooking that day. And if you're really lucky, you'll be there when suppliers drop by and you'll learn just where your favourite restaurant gets those amazing tomatoes. There are four interviews on today's show, so I want to get right to them. And after the interviews, we're going to have a first-ever special anniversary segment on Chef Demoni, just so I can say thanks to my friend and mentor, Chef Andrea Carlson, for 10 great years of cooking together. All of the interviews today took place right at the bar at Burdock, so you'll definitely hear some background noise as the restaurant gets busier and busier through the evening. I arrived at the restaurant early just before opening, and before she got too, too busy, I had a chat with Julie Sopuk, who is the general manager at Burdock, because I knew Julie would have great perspective on being a regular from the restaurant's point of view. First of all, thanks for being on the show, Julie.
1: No problemo. Excellent. Happy to be here.
0: What I'm really trying to get at in this episode is a frustration that I have mm-hmm. over people who seem to follow social media recommendations or what's currently hyped and you see some restaurants that are just packed for a, some period of time and I can never quite figure out why. Not never, but often I'm confused as to why that is, but it turns out they've been very popular on Instagram, whatever that is. And in my view, there is a real benefit to going back to a place and getting to know the staff there and getting to know the menu well and cultivating a relationship. And so what are your thoughts on that, both generally in Vancouver and, and what you've observed people doing here at Burdock?
1: I mean, I definitely don't understand Instagram and social media culture either. <laughs> so,
0: And you're significantly uh, younger than yeah, me. Yeah,
1: there's, there's definitely a lot of that that, as I think... Andrea and I both are really, it can be very confusing about what is popular and why in terms of social media. However, in terms of regulars and having people come in because they live in the area, because they're coming in specifically for what we do, is really important to us, especially with our wine list and the type of food that we serve. It is a noticeable difference to serve people who are coming in because of what we do as opposed to coming in because they saw us on Instagram once or because we were in a, in a top 10 list somewhere. So the experience I think for the guest when they're coming in to experience what Burdock & Co does is a much more, maybe just honest experience.
0: Right. And I know I don't think it changes really the level of service because I know everybody here treats everybody super well. I do think there's an advantage to the guest, to the diner, just because you get to know the people, right? And you add to that experience, and you may even become friends outside the restaurant experience.
1: And that has happened. I do have friends that I have met here as guests first, That now I hang out with them outside of work. We have a saying here, ruining your own experience, and that does happen when people come in expecting... Or requesting sort of something that they want versus what we offer you know again like you said the service doesn't change and we're always happy to do whatever we can to oblige and say yes to different requests however sometimes the experience really is hampered if you don't want to share or if you're not interested in natural wine or if you basically if you're trying to create your own experience and that is outside of what we regularly do, then you will definitely experience Burdock and Co. in a different way than somebody coming in and just really trying to experience what we do here.
0: Right. To your point of meeting people and then developing connections with them even outside the restaurant, I think about it, that's exactly what's happening here tonight, although we're back in the restaurant. But It's because I'm gonna meet people that I would not otherwise know, but through Burdock, right? And so Brian and Ramona, you know, I had some connections to, to Sparky, who I'm hoping to talk to as well. But it's great to see these circles of friends getting together in other places or for other reasons.
1: And I see quite a few of our regulars on the street at the Federal store while I'm having coffee in the morning and it really delivers another, like, it reminds me that I'm part of a community. Because there definitely is a certain amount of theater involved in service and to have regulars that come in and will ask you you know how your trip was or how is your sister doing those kinds of things really create and solidify a sense of community and reiterate for me like what is important about dining and and breaking bread and that those sort of connections that you make and it feels a lot more genuine And it's really nice for me personally, and I know for a lot of the staff here, it really sort of fills our tank, our regulars, really give back a lot to us and remind us what it is about our job that we like because they're so engaged.
0: Right. And makes, let's face it, everybody in this industry has long, grueling hours and you've got to have something that makes that worthwhile to you.
1: Totally. And also the other way, you know, to see familiar faces, to be able to have um, more genuine and honest conversations with our regulars and asking them how they are doing and how their trip was also is very fulfilling and for me so necessary. Otherwise I feel like a robot.
0: It was really fun to catch up with Julie. She's a constant presence at Burdock and one of the friendly faces I look for when I walk through the door. And to be a team player, I've even started using Burdock's official online reservation system rather than just texting Julie. I was probably pushing the boundaries of being a regular by texting in my reservation requests. My next guest covers the lawyer part of the podcast today. Mark Irvin is a law school classmate of mine, but I know him best recently as a regular from the bar seats at Burdock. Mark practices criminal law, and his work brings him often to the downtown east side of Vancouver. It's an area full of challenges, largely centered around addiction. Mark sees those challenges and how they intersect with our criminal justice system right up close. Mark is also the legal director for the Indigenous Community Legal Clinic at the University of British Columbia, where he also works with the Innocence Project, working to overturn wrongful convictions. So it's fair to say that people are important to Mark, and he works hard to build community. That's what I found fascinating about our discussion, how restaurants can really function as hubs of community. During our talk, Mark mentions Millen of Stony Paradise Farms. Millen is something of a rock star supplier in Vancouver, known and loved as the Tomato Man. And he brought a delivery to Burdock while Mark and I were there. Chatting with restaurant suppliers is another benefit of being a regular. So let's get back to Burdock for my talk with lawyer Mark Girvin. It's been a while since we've had a lawyer on the show. And I bumped into my friend Mark Girvin last Friday night at, I shudder to say it, our 20th, Law school anniversary, so I can't believe we're uh, we're sitting here 20 years later. But Mark, great to see you, and thanks for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me on the show. And uh, 20 years, it's amazing. I don't, I have no idea where the time went.
0: I know, I know. Well, we were talking just before we started recording about your average day. Maybe tell the listeners a bit about the type of practice you do and and some of the hour demands you're dealing with.
2: Yeah, so I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and that's I self-identify, as the saying goes, as a criminal defense lawyer. During the summer and Christmas and Easter periods, I do quite a bit of work for the Crown in this province. It's an old and honorable tradition to be hired by the Crown, and I do that. I also get uh, specially assigned some files that the Crown can't deal with, and I prosecute those as well. And then I have a third job, which is I'm the legal director of the Indigenous Community Legal Clinic up at Allard Law School, that takes up a fair chunk of my time as well. I have seven students a semester, three semesters a year, and we help between 700 and 900 indigenous people a year. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank
3: you.
0: Yeah. How about the, have you wrapped up, you were working one or two times ago when we spoke uh, here at Burdock. I think you were doing a, like an innocence project sort of. Uh, yes.
2: Or, that's uh, another thing I do. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> Still at it? <laughs> I have two uh, files with the innocence project, which is a wrongful conviction project and it's also at Allard Law School run by Tamara Levy. And we take files where clients profess innocence. They've always done so and they've run out of their appeals. We look for pure innocence versus technical innocence. So if the court in our, if we feel the court might have made a wrong decision regarding charter rights, something like that, we don't touch those files. We're looking for pure innocence. So we have about we run between twenty and thirty clients depending on not many everybody the public thinks that everybody they go to prison they say we're innocent. It's a very small number.
0: Right. That actually meet your pure innocence
2: criterion. Absolutely and during my year running the project I think I only had three applications from people saying they were innocent. So it's not huge numbers. We're talking small numbers.
0: Right. But to state the obvious a pretty critical thing if you're one of those people. <laughs>
2: Absolutely
0: Well, let's move on to to happier or at least lighter topics. Yes. And one of the big issues that I'm addressing on today's episode, Mark, is the advantage to being a regular, what you get out of being a regular at a restaurant, and certainly... During my years away from law, when I was spending time on the other side of this bar, yeah. uh, on the line at Burdock, I would see you not infrequently. So I know you have been a regular here for a good long time. So please give the listener your thoughts on on that experience and, and why, why you do it, why it's important to you.
2: Well... You're right. I know the everybody that from Andrea, Julie on down. I've known the staff as they've come in and they've come out. And one thing I've noticed about Burdock is they keep their staff longer than just about every restaurant I've ever been with. I have a couple of other restaurants that I love and I frequent pretty regularly. uh, Mainom being one of them. But there's something about coming to Mainom. Burdock is probably my most frequent you feel it it's going to sound kind of sappy but you feel like you're with family you have a community and when you come in and you see julia andrea hannah you see these folks and you you know you feel a connection with them and you're i love community and i'm i really it's something that i've appreciate i'm from a small town so community is important and i feel like you have these little communities and in, in a large city and for me a restaurant like Burdock hits every every level, so the staff is incredibly well-trained. They are such nice, genuine people, and I know about their lives, they know about mine. It feels like you're in your living room many times. I sit at this part of the bar whenever I come here, I talk to the staff, so I think the advantage, and I don't even like to call it advantage, but I think if we're going to use that word, I think the advantage is being with people, eating incredibly good food, creative food, with a group of people you just feel at home with.
0: Yeah, you captured it really, really well. Maybe you could comment on the big city factor, and in the grand scheme of things, Vancouver isn't a huge city, but I grew up in Thunder Bay. Where did you grow
2: up? Squamish.
0: In Squamish. Okay, yeah. so close, but a small town for sure. And over the last few years, pick your number of years, Vancouver has, to my mind, really gotten bigger and busier and more crowded. So talk a little bit more about the importance of finding your community in a big center.
2: Absolutely, because, you and you're right, you hit on I think, I, I don't know what the exact numbers in Vancouver are now, maybe two million people. I'm not quite sure, it's, it's well over a million, and I think it might be upwards of two million. I don't think you can have a community Vancouver can't be your whole community. So I work, a lot of what I do is downtown Eastside. And I frequent Andrea's other um, place, which is Harvest. And I frequent there regularly, I get my groceries there. But I know the people in that neighborhood, and it feels like you know I'm on my way to work. And even when I'm prosecuting somebody, they'll yell out, "Hey, Mr. Prosecutor!" Or, you know, or it's very good they'll natured. Them. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're very, you know, it's a it's a quite a small community. And I this is a term I'm sure somebody else came up with, but micro communities. And Burdock, and I'm looking around here. It's like a vessel almost, and you feel like you're in this small community. And I don't think it's possible, and I may be wrong about this, but I don't think it's possible to make a community out of such a large city. You could in a town of Squamish, when we arrived, there were 6,000 people. But here at a place like Burdock, you feel like you have a community. You feel like these are people you know, you trust, you like, you want to spend a few hours with. And I think that that makes a big difference. You know, there's some research out of, and I I'm going to say it's the U.K., on loneliness, and they think that loneliness might be the new cancer. It might contribute to a lot of those things. And when you have a community like Burdock, and I probably here, let's be charitable once every two weeks, but it might be more than <laughs> might that. might be more. <laughs> and you just, you don't feel alienated, you don't feel cut off from your community, you feel like you're the group of people, like-minded people, and that's the other important point is Andrea and Julie and Hannah and the rest of us. I think we share many of the same values, yeah.
0: Right, so you're, you're gonna be naturally drawn to restaurants that source good local products and deal with farmers and source respectfully. That's
2: Absolutely. Gonna yeah. As we just saw, Milan was here from Stony uh, Paradise. And you know, Milan is a perfect example. Andrea goes out of her way to source products from people like Milan. And Milan is a great guy. And, you know, he his tomatoes, I won't stand in a lineup for anything. Maybe a Led Zeppelin uh, reunion, I might. But other than that, <laughs> other than it's, that I'm not standing it, in a lineup.
0: It's stony paradise. <laughs> but That's it's stony it, paradise, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And, you know, and it's everybody, you know, I see the people coming in, dropping off, whatever it is they drop off. Andrea has a connection to each one of those people, as does the staff. And that, to me, is important. I know there's a chance, well, it's a probability that I pay extra money for that. It's something that I think is very important, that we really think closely about how we proceed in the future. We're right now covered in smoke and have been for two weeks. We can hardly breathe in this city. And things like food security, I think is the proper term, is is gonna get more and more important as the years go by.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And I think in the last episode, as I mentioned to you, I spoke to two cooks who were at Burdock and have now left the industry. And in part, there's a frustration about the economics of the restaurant business, because it's just a thin, it's a plain, thin margin business. And people do it for passion and, and some can only do it for so long. So it's so wonderful to spend time with someone like you who recognizes the importance in restaurants that source ethically and provide great stuff.
2: I mean, I have to say right off the bat, I'm very lucky. I make a great income. Sure. I can do this. And so I feel very blessed. And through that, I have met a whole web of people. I know people throughout the restaurant industry. And and I would... I guess, for a lack of a better term, at the top end of the restaurant industry, these are all bright, creative, fun, interesting people. And so, when I you mentioned somebody you had just interviewed, Greg, Greg is such a. Like, spending a couple hours sitting here eating his food was just always so much fun. And to listen to what he had on his mind. And it is a conversation. It's a constant conversation. And so, in talking to Julie, for example, we'll she's been teaching me about wine for about five years. The poor woman has a uphill battle teaching me, <laughs> you know, this reserve. But she never gives up. And she has taught me a world of things besides wine. And the people that tend to work in restaurants like this are just bright about so many things. They're curious, they're interested, and that makes me curious and interested as well. Right.
0: And you know, you made a great acknowledgement, which is that you earn a good income. I can make the same acknowledgement. I earn a good income. We're both very, very fortunate, for sure. That said, it's also inspiring to see people working at various you know levels in the restaurant industry where they may not be making a lot of money and they're still doing so much to promote food security, to support real farmers. That's one of the things that I am really inspired by in places like Burdock.
2: Yeah. And we both know the margins are so small. So like thin. Nobody is, you know, I guess you see the guys on TV in New York and we've been around the restaurant business my parents owned a restaurant when i was young and it was for seven years i think we all know that nobody's getting loaded off very few people are getting loaded off restaurants they're doing this for a, a, you know passionately and so somebody who's unaware may look at the price tag of a certain dish and go oh my god that's a lot of money but if you're producing if you're buying uh, locally and ethically the margins are very low yeah
0: it's just going to cost you more yeah Let's move back to your lineup comment. And I want to circle back to a discussion that we had at the 20th, which was other restaurants where we didn't quite understand the lineup. And uh, maybe two lawyers who are well on the north side of 40 aren't the ones to discuss social media. Absolutely. But let's give it a shot. My observation is I think people are cheating themselves by following too closely what the current buzz is or what the you know what's trending on Instagram and being attracted to those and going and lining up for them when around the corner or you know two streets over there may be a much better option that if you uh, deployed a little, a little more creativity and a little more research you would find. So give us your thoughts on that Mark.
2: Absolutely, um, first of all given my age and my profession, I'm a little suspicious about social media anyways. I'm not on social media and so when I learn about a place, it's through word of mouth. It's through a friend of mine in the restaurant business, probably five friends of mine, who have told me, hey, you got to try this place. And it might be Burdock the Company or it might be some very small place. I have two really good friends. Their last name are French, Andrea and Stephanie, and they own this place called The Pie Shop. And they make pies and they do it at a very high level. So you learn about... Places like the pie shop from other friends of yours in the restaurant industry, and you get to get all these kind of places. And it's they are it is because somebody like Andrea will say to me, and you think to yourself, Why would Andrea tell me about another great restaurant? Well, people in the restaurant business are so generous in many, many ways, and they see somebody opening up a new restaurant and they think that this person is doing it right. They're gonna say to you, you should go and try that. Now, if you're on Instagram or however people get this information, what you're really getting is information from people who have learned about the newest, greatest, shiniest thing. It may not be all that great. It may be just a great marketing thing. I'd rather go to some place where it is somebody like Andrea who's throwing everything she has into it and is consciously, she has a plan and she moves towards that no matter how hard it is and it is hard you've been on the line for and we're talking about a different line but you've been on the line for 10 years you know this is not for the faint of heart it is difficult and to take burdock for example for 5 I think it's 5 years now to continually go forward and not just go forward with dishes that you had success with but to say I had success with those dishes and everybody is walking in the door because of that and to go, we're stopping that. Right, We've had it on the menu for two months and we're now moving to whatever's in season. It's gutsy, it's creative, it's fascinating. And so when somebody like Andrea tells me, hey, you should try this restaurant, I'm going to go. And I don't want to be told, I mean, this is probably, as you know, those of us in our business don't want to be told what to do. Don't (laughs) want to be told how to think. I don't want to be, you know, they may be right. This may be a great restaurant, but I don't want to stand in a lineup for it. And I think you and I talked about this the other night is, I sit in a fantastic restaurant many times having brunch. Across the street is, I'm sure it's an equally wonderful restaurant and I've eaten a couple meals there, but there's a lineup that will sometimes be a minimum of an hour, if not longer. I'm sitting across the street paying a dollar more for this food that is wonderful. But it's not kitschy, it's not the flavor of the moment, but that restaurant will last 20 years and it will just consistently be putting out fantastic food. And by the way, Milan drops off his tomatoes there as well. (laughs) And that's the other thing, when you look at a guy like Milan and who he's going to give his tomatoes to, he's very choosy himself.
0: Absolutely. That's actually great advice. We should just follow Milan around. <laughs> it is true. And
2: go to every restaurant. next time I see him, yeah. I'm going to ask him, where do you deliver yeah. to? Go to his restaurants.
0: And last question, will you tell us where that place for brunch is or any other recommendations that you're willing to make?
2: Campanola Roma yeah. puts on a great brunch, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Main Om. I uh, eat there. Angus Ann is just an amazing chef. And he is much like Andrea in that his menu is often changing. He's very seasonal. I love to go in there. I never order off the menu. I just say chef cook. And he was making a Dungeness crab taco the other day. That was all, everything, the taco shell. And it was about the size of my thumb. And it was so stunning, so creative, something I wouldn't have thought in a million years. One of the best things I've ever tasted. Rob Belcham... I love his stuff and I live down near Campanola upstairs and so I go upstairs every once in a while. Peter the bartender is a fantastic guy, wonderful drinks and then there's some wonderful people in uh, coffee shops, Revolver, Nemesis, I love Nemesis. Nemesis to me is just a wonderful place. They're all seemingly about 13 years old. There's a group of them. (laughs) It's alarming how that (laughs) happens. is, isn't it? (laughs) They're a group of wonderful, bright young people, and I go in there, and I'm often double the age of everybody, and they treat me fantastically. We have these wonderful conversations. The way they've thought about their food program and their coffee is so great revolver i just love georgia revolver george is so meticulous and thoughtful about how he sources his coffee those are two of my favorite places. matt over at birds and beats this is a wonderful place and they've got this wednesday night where they have alcohol and uh, and greg used to uh do sling pasta there uh, right right that's yeah. right his,
0: his nudes project
2: yeah. yeah and so i like things like that so yes I love Burdock & Company, it is fantastic, but if you think of a place like Birds & Beets on the Wednesday night with Greg, that is wonderful too. One kind of pasta, one kind of wine, just wonderful.
0: That's terrific. Well, Mark, thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much, Graham.
2: It was so good seeing you the other night, and I really appreciate it. It was great to see Mark
0: again, both at our 20th graduation anniversary and, of course, at Burdock. I really appreciate knowing that there are lawyers out there as focused as Mark is on building community and supporting great restaurants. Next up in today's interview is Brian Son. I met Brian through the Burdock crowd and he's both a regular diner at the restaurant and the owner of a business in the industry. Brian and his wife, Ramona, own and operate Racine Wine Imports, a specialty wine company that brings in artisanal or naturalist wines from France. These are small production wines where the producers don't use modern techniques in the process. It's wine the way it used to be made. I love Brian's comments that his wines don't ever get ranked or rated because they're that off the grid. You'll hear that Brian likes many wines from the Loire Valley, a huge area in France, sometimes overlooked. Here's my talk with Brian about food and wine and being a restaurant regular, from Vancouver to Paris. So we are back at the bar at Burdock slightly later into the evening, and the restaurant has filled up, which is wonderful to see. I'm sitting here with a friend and another Burdock regular, Brian Son, and... Brian's a really interesting guy, like a little bit like my experience. He's got a different day job, but loves the food industry and the restaurant scene, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Brian, first of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. And maybe you can start the listeners out by talking about your, I, I can't even call it a side hustle because it's a serious business, Racine Wine Imports. And that's something that you uh, were just telling me you've been doing now for about 10 years.
4: Yeah, it's yeah, already 10 years now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and
0: what, what do you do with Racine? What's the focus of the business?
4: It's basically my wife and I, Ramona and, and I, it's, it's a family business really, and we import you know additional wines from France to BC. All right. What makes a wine qualify as artisanal? I think a lot of people use nowadays the term natural, that's probably just as any good description really. is. the producers who've gone back to traditional way of producing wines with, you know, organic farming or biodynamic farming with uh, very little intervention in the cellar, so they, are, they always use um, natural yeast, very minimal sulfur. sometimes none at all. Right. So really gone back to the the roots of making wine. The roots of making wine.
0: And what's what's the advantage of that for the consumer? Like, how does that benefit me? I know a tiny bit about wine generally and a a tinier bit about artisanal or naturalist wine. So what what does that do for me when I take a sip in the glass?
4: For me, it just tastes so much better. It's live, it's fresh. Uh, I can drink a good amount of wine without getting sick next morning. (laughs) And I, as a lover of food, I generally find that... Go better with food, you know. It's generally light in alcohol, and as I mentioned, it's fresh and lively. So it just has a nice tendency for, you know, a good meal. Right. It's a good partner. Yeah. 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 Perfect. And
0: so let's move into the meal portion of the discussion and talk about your experiences here at Burdock. How did you come to know Burdock? I know that you're a regular because my time on the line, I would see you regularly and uh, now we bump into you every now and again either at the restaurant or at some other social occasion so tell us your history with burdock
4: and i first got introduced to andrea by actually matt Matt sherlock who owns uh, sedimentary wine and we import similar type of wines from italy and france and i think uh, matt knew andrea back in the day and they worked at a restaurant in uh, west end Okay,
0: yeah. right. I remember seeing Matt at Bishop's, so that's a good thats a good 10 years ago yeah. now. Yeah,
4: when I heard from Matt that Andrew was opening a restaurant, and Matt was, at the time, was in charge of the wine program, and it was great to hear that they were going to go, you know, 100% artisanal, a natural type of wine. So it was, in fact, that was, the, I think it was the first restaurant in town that went exclusively uh, a natural, so that's... So it was exciting to hear that, and that's how I met Andrew, actually, tasting wines at Matt's place in right. downtown. it's okay. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a fine way to meet anybody. <laughs> okay, and then from that initial meeting, what has kept you coming back to Burdock? And we, we can take Burdock as the specific example, but I'd also like your thoughts on the concept more generally of, of being a regular at a restaurant and what, what that does for somebody.
4: It just may be surprising to some people, but it's not the wine that brings me back here, actually. It's, it's the food. I think in France, they're saying that it's, it's the wine that may bring the customers in initially, but it's the food that keeps customers keep bringing back, you know, and I think that's true for me. I think just the advantage of being a regular, as French call it, habitue, is, uh, you know, you get to know the people well, and they know you well. So it's a bit of a comfort place for me. Anything, they have something special they would recommend, uh, any uh, new wines they'll recommend. So you feel really like a uh, part of, uh, obviously, a guest, too, but it's obviously a very welcoming environment. And I, and I, I like that in a restaurant. really makes it an evening worthwhile. Yeah. You know?
0: How do you find the restaurants that you go to? So you, you got to know Burdock or of Burdock from Matt. Do you rely exclusively on friends, on word of mouth? Do you, do you use social media at all or read restaurant
4: reviews? Or how do you find places? I think through word of mouth, really. I mean, there are certainly some aspects of uh, you know, media, but I, I don't really pay much attention to that. I mean, my wines are completely <laughs> off, off the, the grid. grid. Off the grid? Yeah. <laughs> they're I, I they're not it. trending on yeah. Twitter? I, I don't think they're trending <laughs> any of the publications that give points, for example. I don't think I've ever issued a, a wine letter with the points on them on my wine. So uh, not that they get reviewed very often, and that's fine with me. So I don't really rely on that too much. I suppose I'm uh, just independent opinion of others, <laughs> right? Which is
0: which is wonderful. Well, it's interesting because just before you came in, I was uh, I was chatting with another friend, Mark Gervin, who's a criminal defense lawyer, and and he made the point that lawyers, at least as a group don't like to be told what to do or what to like yeah. so it's yeah it's, that's,
4: uh, that's that's us too yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> same, same with engineers
4: <laughs> yeah, and, and wine yeah, wine yeah. importers yeah and all of our producers feel yeah. the same way all right all
0: Right. last question I'm looking for recommendations that I want to share with the listeners so give us if you will a recommendation either of a particular wine that you think is just wonderful right now and or a wine region or an area that you know maybe is underserviced, under promoted where you're finding some interesting wines that the the broader market isn't paying much attention to.
4: Oh, uh, there's so many. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, great. Let's have them all. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz if you look at our portfolio, I don't have a Bordeaux, I don't have a I don't know, a Satchville pub, I don't have Champagne, all those are big names. The wines that I think Great Value are still lower value. I think mean, the Great Value is very, very large, sprawling appellation. It's very difficult for critics to come to a grip with the area. So they seem to sk- skip a lot. Stay away. Huh? Stay away. And the producers are very independent. So they don't really give rats ass about somebody <laughs> visiting them either. Right. So The critics can <laughs> yeah. say whatever they want or, exactly. or not say anything. Exactly. So I, I think it's great value. Wines are tend to be a little more light and cooler and less alcohol, which is the kind of style I like to drink. Any other places,
0: any other restaurants around Vancouver that you... Pre- well, it doesn't even have to be around Vancouver. That would be great. Or maybe a place in France I should check out if I'm lucky enough to get there. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: I go to Paris just about every year to meet our producers and then stop by Paris to have some wine and food. And Paris is just... A, just a wild scene, you know, uh, in terms of food and natural wines. The ones that I love the most in Paris, there's so many, but uh, Louvre Volet on, on the 11th hour this month is, is very exciting. It's a very casual, natural wine bar. Comfort food really, a modern but comfort food. And there's wine stacked from uh, ceiling to floor. Wow. With the price on them, you just pick the one you like, you know, very casual. So that's very good. That's Avant Comptoir. That's restaurant called Le Comptoir, a bistro Le Comptoir, but it's always busy. So the chef there uh, uh, opened up uh, a little standing room-only wine bar for guests to stay there. Okay, right while you're uh, waiting for your table to open. Exactly, and then avant Comptoir and before Comptoir—that's literally what it says—but it just became an identity of its own, and it's just fantastic. It's I believe they are only allowed 18 people, but I've seen 40 people there sometimes. <laughs> there's a communal butter, there's a communal cornichon, there's right. oh wow, it's communal a, it's a, bread, yeah, yeah. yeah so, they just it sounds like a bouchon. Help yourself, yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's a menu hanging off the ceiling with a picture and price, so you just you just ask for it. Ask, point and go. Yeah, point yeah. and go. They keep a tab under your name, and you can order anything by glass, bottle, or magnums. It's just like so friendly, so casual. Sounds yeah. wonderful. Yeah.
0: All right, I'm gonna go. Brian, thanks very much for taking the time. My pleasure. Talking to Brian really reminded me how long it's been since I've been in France. I'd love to get back to Paris sometime soon. Okay, the final guest on today's show is a self-described non-foodie, my friend Sparky Wickstead. Sparky appreciates things that are done well, whether that's art or fashion or food. In fact, Sparky mentions an art project that he and a friend were working on, painting huge canvases with Metallica lyrics, and how they'd come to Burdock for a glass of champagne and some breakfast before heading to the studio. In fact, Sparky remembers a joyous time when one of his favourite Burdock dishes, the nudie, was on both the brunch and the dinner menu. Back to Burdock now, and here's my talk with Sparky. I'm really happy that my buddy Sparky Wickstead has chosen to join me on the program today. So Sparky, first, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And as I was saying to you just a moment ago, the the theme that I really want to explore is on this episode is what people can gain by being a regular at a restaurant. So instead of following what might be popular on social media, my theory at least, is that you can really improve your dining experience by cultivating a, a relationship with a restaurant and getting to know the people there and getting to know the menu. And I know that's something you've done at Burdock. So can you describe your experience with Burdock to the listeners? I'm not a foodie. I love
3: good anything. And it was through coming here more often over time that I realized how otherworldly great it was. I like my taste buds doing somersaults whenever they can. So, yeah, I think coming here really just woke me up to how super great it could be. And, and I have a few other places I
0: like, but... Sure. Maybe give us an example or two, and I can think of two that you've mentioned recently, but, but maybe talk about a dish or two that, that really stuck in your mind because of what it did for your taste buds here.
3: I think Burdock Imperial phase for me was when they had Nudie on the breakfast menu and Nudie on the dinner menu. <laughs> right. So you could spend the whole afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I don't eat that much meat, but the pork belly, which I haven't seen for ages, is when I found out about it, I think I came three times in one week for it. And then more recently, I discovered how great the lamb is, and I'll be back a few times this week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I also want your thoughts on the personal side of things, which is to say the interaction with the staff and the people here. Because again, my theory is that's a a huge component to the experience. And I think a lot of people are cheating themselves out of what could be a better experience.
3: Luke and I made coming here part of our day when we were working on the Metallica paintings. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So every Sunday started with a glass of champagne here and breakfast. And then we'd head down to the studio and work on whatever we were doing. But whatever was going on here, whether it was dead or whether it was busy, they'd always make room for us and we'd come in our are paint-covered overalls and it didn't matter one bit. People would be in their Sunday brunch outfits. They're really badly put-together casual stuff.
0: <laughs> I now, now i got to start a fashion uh, podcast. No,
3: no, no. Maybe you <laughs> yeah. need to edit this part out. But yeah. <laughs> I get a kick out of seeing people, I may, might have talked about it before, people who are in their best dress casual stuff but i think they wear suits all week so when they have a chance to wear their casual stuff
0: they go for it They go for it <laughs> and it's not so casual
3: <laughs> and and main street's filled with it on sunday morning and so that was good fun to stroll down main street in our overalls and walk into this place sometimes where people would be lined up and we'd look like two bozos out on a drywalling mission and we'd be made super welcome of course and Enjoy our glass of uh, champagne and our breakfast on our way down to do painting stuff. Cool dude painting stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So there it is, artist to artist. Sparky has got a lot of time for what Chef Andrea does in the kitchen at Burdock & Co. And speaking of Andrea, here's the 10th anniversary segment of the episode. I'll say my piece quickly and then share some thoughts that my guests had when I asked them about Andrea. For my part, I just want to say thanks, Chef. Thanks for taking a chance on an untested lawyer, thanks for your patience and mentorship, and thanks for doing what you do at the level you do it. I worry about how hard you work, and at the same time, I love that you're doing it. We need more places like Burdock and Harvest. Thanks for creating them, and for sharing them with me and with everyone else. To the guests now, here's a good story that Mark Gervin shared when I asked him about Andrea.
2: You know, the restaurant just started getting busier and busier and busier, and and Greg was on the line, and many of the people that we are used to were on the line. And Andrea was sitting in front of me along with, I think Greg station was here as well. And I just watched them. It's a thing of beauty to watch them all just like, I would compare it, and this is a horrible comparison to compare human beings to, but that idea that you buy that high-end Ferrari and it hits 100 miles an hour. And instead of looking like it's working hard, it just settles down and it goes smooth and there's no noise. That's the way watching Andrea and the whole staff, Julie as well, everybody just like calmly just settling down into that horrific shift because you know they are working their tails off and i remember watching andrea just like thinking man she's the boss she is like the real deal she is a in a small group of chefs talented creative people that can pull that kind of thing off and the whole staff was watching her for direction and she they saw her just settle down and work it through and it was a thing of beauty to watch
0: And Julie Sopak and I talked about Andrea, too. Can you give me a snippet of just what it's like working with Andrea?
1: It's amazing. It's why we're all here working at Burdock. You know, we've sort of all said that Burdock is not any one person. It will exist without any one of us, except for Andrea. She's the reason that we're all here. She's the reason that... We have the list that we do, that we have the menu that we do, that we have the clients that we do. And her philosophy and ethos permeates this building like in a way that I have never experienced with anyone else. From the flowers at the front that are grown ethically, to the beeswax candle in the bathroom, to. The soaps that we use and then the wine list and the food, like everything is so very well thought through, has been chosen very intentionally, there's no compromises made, and for me that kind of like dedication and commitment to a vision is so inspiring.
0: When I asked Sparky Wickstead about Andrea, he described her as an artist. Well last sort of area that i want to explore sparky is your interactions or your experiences and they're part and parcel of course with burdock because andrea really is burdock but can you share an experience or or two that that stand out for you with an interaction with andrea
3: shortly after i met andrea we were at uh, the projection room Darwin was DJing.
0: That's the projection room at the Fox, now the Fox Cabaret. Yeah. yeah.
3: And there's a guy that I think is a magician for what he does. He, he, I think he's a peerless talent. And It was after, might have been a Wednesday night or a Sunday, I can't remember. But Andrea had not met him before, but strolled up to him that particular evening. And he's a strange person to sort of go up and introduce yourself to, but she just walked up and said... Hey, want to play the first birthday party at Burdock and I just what I liked was that instinctive enthusiasm for something that was what I thought was really great, and obviously she did too and, and just went up and said, "Hey, want to play my birthday party and very excellently, two super great things were working together for a little while, like Darwin came and played the first birthday birthday party, and yeah, I just kind of remember in the sort of noisiness of the projection room for going up and sort of I don't know where it came from, but it was, it was just kind of that, uh, that leap or enthusiasm to sort of go and grab something that was really great and bring it a little bit closer.
0: What do you think is, if there is one, I think there is, what do you think the commonality between Andrea Chef and Darwin DJ is? I think he's an artist, and I think she is. And Brian Son mentioned how lucky he felt to be invited into Andrea's home for a meal. Brian, can you share one or more memories, however many you like, but at least one of um, of an interaction you've had with Andrea, something that sticks in your mind?
4: Well, I, I was fortunate as being a regular and as a person who contributes to a wine program, I I had a chance to get invited to Andrea's place for a dinner a couple of times. So I get to see her sort of uh, you know outside the restaurant scene, and her food is quite different, equally delicious, but quite different very homey I would say and those events are kind of special for Ramona and I because it's sort of a not that we feel when we come here it's part of work but it's just another level of connection I think that you chance to meet with a artisan who happens to be a chef in town you know instead of a producer so for me it's just an extension of of meeting somebody who cares passionately about what they do and and really care about what they put on the table.
0: And that great memory from Brian brings us to the end of Episode 7. As always, thanks for joining me here for the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you have a question for the show or a suggestion for a chef or lawyer you'd like to hear from, please get in touch with me. You can message me on Instagram and Facebook or send me an email to graham at chefdemoney.com. I'm Graham McLennan, and I look forward to seeing you next time right here on Chefdemoney.